Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. It's uh, clean down here, isn't it? It's different. Move stuff around. More room. Yeah, doing that spring cleanup mm. thing. Tossing stuff out. Garbage. I'll take the radio. That's not going anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, <clears throat> that's staying here, buddy. Uh, no, it's uh, spring cleanup season. I'm getting rid of a whole bunch of garbage. I've, I've told... Uh, Tracy, I am narrowing down all my hobbies because I have way too many. So, <laughs> Don't we all? Like that's that's uh, that's the bane of my existence. I just I do too many things. Yeah. So I interests. can't do everything well. I just do everything sort of half arsed. Jack of all trades, master mm. of none? nothing. Yeah. <laughs> Jack of all trades, master of most. <laughs> yes. Uh, I did a bunch of cleaning on the weekend too. I uh, we finally started yard work. I haven't got that far yet. So now, mind you, since we don't have to worry about dog bombs in the backyard yeah, anymore, yeah, uh, we have. Oh, they're still there. Um, no, you already cleaned up. Oh yeah, ah. ages ago. We keep we keep on top of that. Uh, we are talking about doing a big new garden. Oh, Ariana's gotten into that. She wants yeah. to. She will asked about something like that. So she's going to do a big vegetable garden in the back uh, corner, yeah. and then some whatever a bee garden on the side, and bee garden on the yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we mentioned it last week, didn't we? Yeah, I'm not sure. We we talk, the, I think we talked about it off air. Did we? Yeah. Okay. Getting rid of the that, that garage. So if yeah. you need a metal garage, or not a garage, a shed. No, I'm good. All right. <laughs> you sure? Yeah. I can take it down right now. And I do pass need. It your way. I do need a shed. But Just not uh, a metal one. I got to build one. All right. Well, if you feel lazy and just need a metal shed, <laughs> you just give old Shawnee a call. Yeah. We need something <laughs> for all my new hobbies. <laughs> I'm, I'm developing new hobbies like uh, Siobhan wants a pottery wheel because her and Stella like the pottery stuff and and I want a place where I can store my motorbike in the winter and, and we call that a garage no there's a, my garage is a, is a woodworking shop I get all kinds of woodworking tools in there so there's no room to I have no room to store my motorbike in there and when I do put it in there it gets covered in sawdust do you cover it? Yeah, but the sawdust really flies everywhere. I've got, okay. I've got planers and sanders and stuff like that, so it just covers everything. Doesn't matter if it's covered or not, gets uh, wood dust all over it. So you need an outdoor shed. I need an outdoor yeah. shed to put stuff like lawnmower and second garage. A second garage, yeah, but not very big, just enough for the backyard. Yeah, mm-hmm. get rid of the backyard, just yeah, cover it. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking something with an extension, maybe a uh, like a like a dock type thing to go over top of my pond and. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I'm uh, I'm cl- after the basement here. I'm because uh, we got a cold storage room that goes under our yeah uh, front steps. I was surprised at how big that thing is. Yeah, and uh, we're we're going to insulate that mm-hmm. and use that as extra storage. Oh yeah. Yeah, we're not going to use it as a cold storage. We got too much stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm getting rid of yeah a ton of stuff. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm going to build some proper shell uh, things for my canoes. In the garage, in the kayak. Oh, okay. So yeah. I'm going to build some proper um, racks for those. You don't have an extra rack to put my kayak on? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I guess I'll have to take that home soon. <laughs> yeah, or I'll drop it off one of the two. Um, what, yeah, yeah, I'm getting rid of There's a fridge in there, which I'm going to talk, I think I might donate to. I think it just needs a new computer board or something like that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. The, the compressor and everything's been re- redone and all that. Yeah. But it shuts off. 
then it turns back on, then it shuts off. Oh. Like over time, like like a, some sort of thermal overload. Yeah, some sort I don't of. know. So I'm thinking, you know, I was just looking at stuff. There's a circuit board mm-hmm. between the freezer and the, yeah. the fridge, sort of thing. I think it just needs to be replaced. So there's a mom and pop shop around, you know, mm-hmm. five kilometers from here. I'll give them a shout and say, "Hey, listen, here's what the deal is. I'll drop it off. It's yours. Yeah. If, if you fix it, sell it. Yeah. Because that's what they do. They refurbish and sell yeah. stuff, right? There you so, go." I'll go drop that off. I got some stuff in the garage that's going to be hitting the curb mm-hmm. next big gar- garbage day. And yeah. Are, you notice our stereos are gone? I did notice that. Those stereos, yeah, they're out in the mm-hmm. garage, so they're going to the electronics uh, dumping ground. Ah. Got an old car battery that's going to there as well. Do you know anybody who wants a 25-foot sailboat? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get rid of it. It's been in the yard for so long that it's... Uh, it's just too expensive to repair. And I don't know if it's a, it's a Northern Quarter Ton built in Ajax, Ontario. And I don't know if it's a significant enough design to actually be worthy of refurbishing, but we've been looking at sailboats online and stuff and it's a, it would be cheaper and easier just to buy a new sailboat as opposed to fixing this one up. Because I, I have to replace all the electrical and water, white water, uh, the fresh water tank, black water tank. And, you know, it, there's just too much work to do. That's uh, somebody looking for a boat hobby. A major boat project. Yeah. So yeah. what we think is uh, we're probably going to take us take all the metal off and then take a sawzall and chop it up into pieces and haul to the dump. Or put it up on Kijiji. Yeah. See if somebody wants it. I don't, I'm not sure it's worth fixing. Not to you, mm-hmm. but somebody might have one that yeah. wants parts. Yeah, maybe. Right. Uh, well, you, well, I'm going to keep all the metal parts. I'll give away the, all the all the winches and stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, load it up on one of those free. Yeah, free I should. Sites. I should. Somebody will come and haul it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what else? Yeah. Yeah. So it's big clean clean up clean up clean up. Mm-hmm. That's what spring is for. It's gonna <laughs> it's gonna we got some renovations to do this summer too. And while we're doing all that, there's kayaking to do, there's canoe tripping to yes. do, there's trips down south Trip to do. We got, a, we got to visit a lot of people because I've been, our schedule's getting filled up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a lot of people that want us to come on the show and chit chat. Yeah. So yeah, we've got anywhere from Windsor to Ottawa uh, to Timmins and down to Florida. Mm-hmm. Like that's the range where <laughs> <laughs> people be wanting to talk to us. Yeah. So some of those we will actually drive to. Some of those we won't. Yeah. So. Did you see the picture that Braxton Barton that he posted? Oh, the today? sand dunes. Sand dunes. National sand dunes. That was where we were supposed to visit. Yeah. In September. Yep. August. Yeah. 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 It was yeah. September. Late, yeah. late September. Yeah. yeah. So anyway. Uh, what, I think that's about it. That's all that's going on, man. Mm-hmm. Just busy, busy, busy. Yeah, I'm just, I'm plugging away at work and all kinds of weird stuff going on. How's your work, Vizio so. doing? Are you going to be ready for paddling season? My Vizio? Vizio. Oh, the Vizio. Um, Because yeah, I was working with Vizio today at work. It's one of the programs <laughs> yeah, I work Yeah, how's it on. doing? <laughs> anyway. Because I yeah. got nothing better to do than spy at you at the nuclear like, power. How does he know I use Vizio? <laughs> no, my Vizio's going, it could be going better. Uh oh. Well, it's the uh, whatever that I don't know the body parts, but it's ligament, tendon, something that 
goes from my uh, collarbone down over my shoulder. It got stretched shortly after uh, or during the presidential traverse. And and so now it's uh, my my collarbone moves and clicks when I rotate my arm. And grr. Does it hurt when you do this? Don't do this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so no paddling then right now? No, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm starting to, uh, I got to get out and paddle. But uh, I've been working, I've been, I hooked a, a big, a uh, big physiotherapy elastic to a paddle mm-hmm. and I'm doing the paddle strokes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so you're something to get, it. I got to build up the muscles. I got to build up muscles in both arms, but especially the, uh, the injured one. Yeah. Get working on it. Mm-hmm. Get working on it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Tonight, do, 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 do. We still have some more Whitewater beers from, uh, Whitewater Brewing Company. We are drinking Blood Moon Blood Orange Sour, which is not too bad. We've had it. If you're a fan of the really sour beers, then you'll like this. It's got a dry aftertaste, like a like a dry white like wine. Like a Chardonnay or something. Yeah, it, it's got a bit of a dry uh, taste to it. But I figured I was going to open it. It was going to be another one of those orange beers. But it's not. <laughs> it's regular colored. And the other one we haven't had, the Gilmore KLR 93, Killer 93. Because uh, Dougie Gilmore, that was yeah. his, his nickname was Killer. Uh, Kolsch-style ale. So we'll give that one a try in a little bit when we're done this one first. And that's where we are right now. So you, sir, sent me a little article this week. Yes. I uh... About fire. <laughs> fire. <laughs> yes, I thought this was interesting. And uh, so it... Uh... It reminded me of a few things I'd come across in the past about regulations and, and tent regulations for the sale of tents and bug tents in Canada. And uh, you were able to find what I couldn't find. It was the regula- actual regulations. Google's my friend. Yes. We're more than friends. So uh, I, their Mountain Hardware have decided this year that... Uh, and, and they didn't make this move because of any feedback from their end user, the people who, who use their tents, but it, they made this more of a, it was a personal decision on their part to protect their, the, their factory workers, their tent makers and, and whatnot. So, uh, they, they, so if you've spent much time camping and, and whatever, then you know that tents have a requirement to have a specific rating for a non-flammableness or treatment so they'll be non-flammable but you know these these regulations as mountain hardware described it in their article they're talking about uh they said well these these regulations are like decades old and they're sort of based on what tents used to be made of like canvas and to treat the canvas for waterproofness they'd be waxed or Mm -hmm. some sort of paraffin so that made them super flammable and it was the bigger tents that uh that you know like the army tents and you know well we had the big canvas tents when we were camping in cubs and scouts so because of the dangers and flammability of that type of material there was a flammability rating that these things had to meet. I guess it was called a, in the U.S. Is this a U.S. rating, a CPAI-84? Uh, or is that both? Work both? Because yeah. I think in Canada it was called the CCRAO or something. Um, yeah, no. There, CCPSA. There the CPAI-84. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you've been sitting in your tent and you saw that big tag on your tent 
Warning, keep all flame and heat sources away from tent fabric. Yeah. This tent meets the flammability requirements of CPAI 84. The fabric may burn if left in continuous contact with any flame source. The application of any foreign substance to the tent fabric may render the flame-resistant properties ineffective. And it's like the mattress tag, you're not allowed to rip that off. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're going to jail. <laughs> so they have that tag on, yes. on the tents. Um, but yeah, that... that CPAI 84 um, re- flammability requirement. That's been, yeah, since the 80s. Yeah. That, that was coming around. Yeah. And now they're saying that all that flammable chemical is yeah. not good for you. Well, and they always knew it was, wasn't good for you, but there's, you know, in this day and age, people are becoming more and more aware, like especially California, right? California has all these regulations that they've had on the books. They're, they, they're always way ahead of the curve when it comes to carcinogens and stuff like that. And so a lot of now Mountain Hardware and there's a few other manufacturers, they they took note of a study. They, who, who did it? Uh, Duke University. So Well, ten, the, the bunch of the, the ten manufacturers, brands, yeah. tent brands, got together got with together Duke University. Went to Duke, yeah. Yeah. And so they, they did some study and they uh, they examined uh, what these chemicals do to the end user, right? And mm-hmm. so, and what they found is that it these flame retardant chemicals that it's the only thing available to them, what else can you use? So they discovered that uh, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, orga- what, organophosphates and other substances, pesticides, plasticizers, and nerve gases are, these are all the toxicity that ends up you find in these in that's in that chemical that's being exactly. sprayed yeah and uh so the the what the fabric be would be pre-treated before you manufacture the tent and so the cpai 84 was based on the original treatment before it goes into the manufacture of mm-hmm. a tent and then and whatever anyways so it was uh I guess they found it really shocking the 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 hazard how hazardous this was and which prompted Mountain Hardware to say look we're just not going to use this anymore we know we're going to lose we're potentially going to use lose sales and lose money but it's it's imperative that they stop using these hazardous chemicals well one of the things they or a couple of the things they found out was that they're finding when they have people setting up these tents that chemical is on so, like, if you go and set up one of these tents, yeah. that chemical is coming off on your hands. Exactly. And the people that are manufacturing the tents, that chemical is on them yeah. as well. And the big thing that they found was that when the, the companies that are spraying, like coating the the, the, the material with yeah. this chemical, it's different with everywhere you go. So, you know, some people may be putting a thin coat on, others are putting a massively thick coat on. You know, where it's just dripping and stuff. There there was no regulation. It it was different. The application was different wherever you went. Yeah. Right? So you don't know what's there was no true standard. Yeah. So that's that's the one of the things they found through this Duke uh, University study. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so Mountain Hardware said, you know what? Yeah, we are no longer gonna be making our tents with this flammable, uh, flame resistant chemical on it. Yeah. And one thing that uh, tweaked me to uh, to the uh, the study or what really kind of grabbed my my uh, attention was uh, I recall a few years ago. So I bought I have a Nemo twelve by twelve bug tent, and I I didn't want to get the um, who's the other manufacturer that makes the bug tent? 
a lot of quite the a few Eureka people. one. Eureka one. Yeah. So I didn't really particularly like the Eureka one, but I liked the design of the Nemo one, so I wanted to buy it. And I, and I was trying to get it, and I discovered that the only place I could get it is if I went to the States because it, it was taking about up to, it, at the time it had been like just over a year and they thought it would take another year before I could get one into Canada because of the flammability rating. The flammability rating was meeting U.S. standards but wasn't meeting Canadian standards so they were doing further testing of the materials that they were using to make these bug tents, these bug flies. Right. So, so it just took extra long and so when I first saw this article about Mountain Hardware it's like, oh... I wonder if that means that you won't be able to buy mountain hardware tents in Canada, right? So I don't know if it's, if their manufacturer, if their ratings are going to meet Canadian standards and that's still yet to be determined. They don't know this yet. Mm-hmm. They're, they're still waiting for the uh, repercussions and the fallout from this change because they're not sure, like there's, you're going to have uh, people who are, oh, I, I'm, I, I'm, that's too dangerous. It's not, uh, it's still, yeah. it's going to be too flammable for me to use that tent. And, and so some manufacturers, you know, like uh, whoever, like a mom and pop camping store or maybe a bigger camping store are going to carry them, aren't going to carry it because yeah. of the risks of their customers. Right. So they're, they're still waiting to see what's going to happen, what the fallout's going to be. But I think it's a good move. Well, I would, the Natural Resource Defense Council, yeah. which is in the States, they've been trying to get the flam re- retardants removed from all consumer goods for some time. Uh, You know, like you say, concerned with the chemicals are carcinogenic. And a lot of firefighters have also spoken out about it. Yeah, and they would be on top of this because this is something that they deal with day in and day out. All the toxicity and all the stuff that they inhale going to fight fires and whatever, right? Mm -hmm. European tent manufacturers don't use it. Yeah, exactly, right? So I think it's, I mean, I think it's... it's a safety thing, you know, like they, they've put it on there and that, that'll be the thing to get your head around as well. Yeah. It's a safety thing on one side, like your flame, your tent's not going to go flames, but then, but you're then you got a chance abs- that you're going to get yeah. cancer. So you're absorbing these chemicals through the skin, you're inhaling them, you're getting them in your eyes. So it's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not good. And if you lick your tents, then obviously that's going to be bad too. Oh, you tent licker. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, and I hadn't really thought about the... The chemicals used for making tents uh, non-flammable, but uh, I've collected rainwater off the top of my tent before. Oh. Right? Yeah. I've done well, that. Well, tarps. Yeah. Like the Kelty tarps and stuff yeah, like that. I used to collect that water. Save you, you having to filter. Well, that's it. That's exactly it. You drop, you, you let that come down mm-hmm. and you save it and then use yeah. it as drinking water. It always tastes like trees, but it's, it's, yeah. it's not, you, it, you don't have to filter it because it, yeah. there's no dead animals in it. Right? So. Ooh. I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ew. I generally, I it usually just be in a pinch where I drink the water coming off a tarp where I collect it. But, uh, you know, it, it was an opportunity to have some fresh water that kind of tasted like trees that, uh, you know, you didn't have to filter. You didn't have to worry about, you know, dead animals and beaver fever and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, when you told me about this, I was looking through the this article and everything that you brought to my attention. And then I went Googling for stuff. Industry Guide to Canadian Requirements for Tents. Mm -hmm. So this is from the government themselves. Tents manufactured, imported, advertised, or sold in Canada are subject to the Canada Consumer Product Safety Act. Yes. Uh, Must be meet flammability performance requirements and labeling requirements set out in the hazardous product 
tents regulations. So they actually have regulations on tents. Yes. Okay. Manufacturers are advised to verify that all their materials comply with the flammability requirements prior to assembly. However, compliance of the tent will be assessed on the finished product. The flammability requirements apply to all pliable flooring, wall, and top materials used in the tent. If more than one material is used, each component material shall be tested independently. Mandatory bilingual, English and French, labeling is required by the tent's regulations. The label must be permanently affixed to the tent in a prominent location, must remain clear and legible for the useful life of the product. Additional information may be printed on the label as long as it does not con contradict or weaken the required information. Which is that big label that's been there forever and a day since we were yeah. kids and, yeah. and earlier sort of thing. All tents must bear a label that displays the following statement word for word. And there's eight points. The following precautions should be taken when camping. One, do not use candles, matches, or open flames of any kind in or near a tent. Two, do not cook inside a tent. Three, build campfires downwind and several meters away from the tent to be sure to, to fully extinguish campfires before leaving a campsite or before retiring for the night. Four, exercise extreme caution when using fuel-powered lanterns or heaters inside a tent and use battery-operated lanterns whenever possible. Five, do not refuel lamps, heaters, or stoves inside a tent. Six, extinguish, all, extinguish or turn off all lanterns before going to sleep. Seven, do not smoke in a tent. Eight, do not store flammable liquids inside a tent. The tent's regulations reference specific sections of the 1980 version of the CPAI 84, a specification for flame retardant materials, sorry, flame resistant materials used in camping tentage. There was in 95 an amendment to take into account the noceum mesh that oh, a lot of these tents the are. The new meshes. Yeah, that came out. yeah, right. Once that came out. So there was some things about that saying they have to meet certain requirements and stuff mm -hmm. like that as well. Uh, but yeah, so by the sounds of it, Anything coming into Canada won't be able to be sold in Canada if it's not. Doesn't meet that standard. So yeah. like, for example, mountain hardware where they don't treat it anymore, other manufacturers, maybe you won't be able to ship in uh, European tents. Like that, what is it? The Hildebrand or Hill, that round, there's a, they're a half round tent. Very popular for mountaineering and stuff. And it's very expensive. So they are, that's a European manufacturer. Okay. But I've thought I've seen people have those tents in Canada, but I wonder if people bought wonder them if they brought, outside. bought them out and brought them home. Yeah. Because it's not, they're not being sold in Canada. Mm -hmm. They're being sold elsewhere and yeah. brought in. So if you went down and bought one of these tents in the States you can do and then brought them home. You can do whatever you want to do it that yeah, way. They just can't sell them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's going to be something that all. Something's going to have to come out Something's going to have to come out of it. Yeah. And that's going to be uh, definitely, something's going to be changed. Because yeah, if, if, if it's the difference between a flame retardant tent or getting and getting cancer or, yeah. I mean, a lot of this stuff is just common sense anyway, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, except for if you're, I don't know, like winter camping, are you ever going to cook inside your tent? Well, on a, on a really, on a really rough storm day, I might cook in the, uh, in the vestibule. vestibule. See, I always, I always cook outside anyway. Yeah. I've, with it, like yeah, under a small tarp I've or heard something. of people doing it. I've never cooked inside yeah. a tent or whatever. I'm paranoid that way. Yeah. No open flame inside. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
yeah. a tent. Now I wonder, like I wonder how how well impregnated the fabric is with this, these chemicals because, you know, after a couple of years with uh, UV damage and with all the mm-hmm. rain and, and whatever, and like I've never actually washed a tent, but, you know, I've hosed one down before. So I wonder how much of this stuff washes off. Well, and, I guess, you know what, if if your tent sealant, your your waterproofing mm-hmm. washes off. Yeah. Because you got to re-waterproof it every so often, right? Give it a good coating. Yeah, I've never re-waterproofed my tents. Have you never? No. Never, ever? No. Nope. Yeah, I have. I've you done get a, you get a can of it and... Yeah, I've never done that. Yeah. just It just makes it, you know... Because, mm-hmm. yeah, eventually it wears it, like you say, with the UV yeah. and all that sort of stuff. You can buy a can of it, you set up your, mm-hmm. your tent, you just give the fly a really good yeah. spray, let it dry. <laughs> Do you know the... Uh, this is... It's funny, but not so funny. Do you know how you, you buy a new car? It's like, oh, this new, the car, new car smell. smell. So you get a new tent. It's like, oh, new you... tent smell. Wait a sec. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a new tent ah. smell. That's that's flammable dipping of the tent, and that's a carcinogen. Everybody's going to be in the market for used tents now. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that are worn. Yeah, pre-worn. Yeah, I, I got to think eventually it will it'll wear out. Wear I off. would think so. It's it's yeah because eventually a tent stops stinking like the chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. So eventually, it'll, but so I don't know. Maybe there's still obviously there's going to be some of the chemical left, but most of it will be gone. But you know, after a couple seasons, I guess, and rain and yeah. climate weather. But if you have well, it, depends it, on what you use it too. Exactly. Right? Like the we we sh- we just bought a family tent two years ago, and we've only used it uh, twice a summer. So. Uh, so it's been used four times so far. Right. No, oh, it's, it's still have, has, a, all the chemicals are still there. Yeah. Don't lick your hands For my afterwards. children to absorb into their bodies. Yeah. Grab the <laughs> tent and then go lick your hands. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one. That's for sure. And yeah. see if there's any changes made. It's, it just seems to be a lot of rules and regulations between vessels and yeah. camping gear. And yeah. We're getting all, boring. <laughs> What's wrong with these guys? <laughs> I, I think it's uh, a giant um, conspiracy <laughs> to it? get us to get us all to stop going outside. <laughs> you yeah. don't know what's going to happen. Hide in your there. basement and watch Netflix, Star Trek. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, let's take a quick break here. We're going to come back and we're going to talk about squirt boating. Awesome. Hi, this is Dark Sprashed. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. Welcome back. So I was on a website and just, you know, puddling around and I saw the word 
squirt boating. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, what? <laughs> Do you know what? Have you, have you ever seen squirt boating? I have. I've seen it in person. Where did you see it in person? Uh, when I, what year would that have been? It would have been. 1937. 2003. 2003, I think. Ish. 2003, spring to the, yeah, because I, or anyways, it was around It was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. <laughs> anyways, I, uh, I, I was taking, I did my, uh, whitewater kayak course at MKC and, uh, like every time we did a new session or something with trying to control the boats or doing some rapids or doing turns and practicing rolls, like a couple of the really good instructors and most of them were Australians. Like, I don't know what it is about Australians, but they all come up here and, and teach Canadians how to, uh, whitewater kayak and whitewater canoes to get away from the sharks. <laughs> Maybe, <laughs> but anyway, so like we, uh, the group I was in was, uh, I think there was like five or six of us. And so we, on any given day, we had two or three instructors. It was a week-long course I took. And uh, so some of the better instructors would just, he'd, he'd be rallying up with us. We, he'd be showing us how to ferry across a stream. And, and one of them would just kind of run through a rapid and, and do some, some stunts. And, and which, it's it, the, what they were doing was just play boating. But it, they do all the squirt maneuvers, right? They'd, mm-hmm. be, they'd be doing the tumbles and the rolls and stuff like that, staying right in that, uh, in that wave, right? So they wouldn't, they wouldn't move up and down the river. They just moved laterally, right? And, and they'd be like burying themselves in the wave, catching the, the stern of the boat and flipping or sinking the boat or whatever. So it's like, it's like, oh, that's cool, right? But were they play boats or were they squirt boats? So they weren't squirt boats. Squirt boats right. are, are designed differently. But so for us, they were larger volume play boats and squirt boats are really small volume boats, yeah. right? So squirt boating developed from slalom racing in the 70s. Yes. From way back. Mm-hmm. Uh, the racers found that if they sliced their sterns underwater, like a knife, it enabled them to make a large degree turn a lot yes. faster so it's rather like, than curving yeah. on an edge. So basically they'd like push their butt down, lift their knees up, the nose would be going straight in the air and they could do a, like a 90 degree turn and drop mm-hmm. the nose back down and head off in another direction. They say it, it would squirt you out forward. Exactly. They liken it to, if you take like a pumpkin seed, a, a gooey pumpkin mm-hmm. seed in your, between yeah. your thumb and finger and you squeeze it yeah, and it fires across the room, that's what it's like. That's, yeah. that's the effect exactly. you get. Yeah. Uh, this led to a move called the stern squirt. Yep. Okay. And so, yeah, the kayak pirouettes vertically around the stern and then they started doing cartwheels and stuff and more and more funky stuff. And it was a a modern freestyle. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's amazing to see them do it. So the main move with squirt boating is called the mystery move. (laughs) Okay. The mystery move... It's where the kayak is sliced into converging currents on eddy lines, like a sort of reverse wing, corkscrewing down beneath the surface. So your squirt boat is going underwater. Oh, I see. Yeah, I see that on videos. Are going underwater. Yes. So the mystery because you don't know what's going on down yeah, there. Yeah. But they're doing all these things underwater. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, yeah. So the squirt boats are designed to sink extremely low profile with as little volume as possible. So I was searching out these boats because I've never actually seen a squirt boat. I've seen the play boats and stuff like yes. that. And yeah. modern 
play boats and rodeo boats that are sort of almost like a hybrid of, mm-hmm. but I've never actually seen a real squirt boat. The, the thing I say is if you picture, um, an ironing board. Yes. With pointed round, rounded yeah. on both ends, mm-hmm. put two of those together. Yeah. <laughs> like one on top of each yeah. other and <laughs> a hole in the top one. Yeah. And then you slide your body into exactly. that sort of thing. Right. That they're like, they are narrow like they are not tall at all they're they're as tall as your legs are exactly and there's barely enough buoyancy to float so you can you can force yourself underwater like a lot of squirt boat people they use just uh hand paddles Mm -hmm. and uh so they can they can actually submerge themselves and the boat and and do maneuvers underwater with so 100 percent of them and their boat is underwater yeah and they're doing these spins and flips and whatever everything else yeah yeah so the side prof profile of a squirt boat is very flat when you look at it from, mm-hmm. when you look at it from the side, it, yeah. like I say, it's like two ironing boards on top of each other sort of thing. Volume of a squirt boat is generally less than half the volume of a normal kayak of the same length. So, uh, 24 to 35 gallons or 90 to 130 liters for a squirt boat, but a regular play boat would be 50 to 70 gallons or 190 to 260 liters. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's it's that big of a difference. Yeah. Squirt boats have foot bumps that'll enable the boat to maintain the ultra low volume while still providing room for your feet. Yeah. That's the big problem they say if you go and buy a secondhand one, you've got to buy one from somebody that is exactly the same build as you. (laughs) Because I I was going through some of this stuff and they're saying uh, the guy bought one and the guy that he bought it from was shorter. So when he's out doing all these tricks, his feet aren't where the foot yeah. bumps are. And he ended up with sore ankles constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get out of the kayak, the, 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 uh, squirt boat, you know, you're, you're walking up and down the beach for like 10 minutes, trying to get the feeling back <laughs> into your legs and all that. Yeah. When in the water, 70 to 80% of the boat is underwater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Without even trying, it just yeah. sits there. And squirt boats are just designed to do tricks. That's yeah. it. You're not going on a long paddle with them. You're no, they don't track well at all. Right. Play boats are shorter, about eight and a half to nine and a half feet long. The design is flatter overall, more narrow at the ends, making carving easier, cutting back and forth. Play boats are great because they run rivers well and are also good at maneuvering and playing. Mm-hmm. Those are play boats. Rodeo boats are a shorter, lower volume version of the play boat, usually about seven to eight feet long. Generally, rodeo boats have low volume bow and stern. So it's like you got this big bubble in the middle where your body is, Mm -hmm. and then it squeezes down really fast, like flat, little up curves on the ends sometimes. Uh, This makes rodeo boats easier by letting the ends slice through the water, easily still keeping the paddler above water. Mm -hmm. Rodeo boats are designed to stay in holes and to get vertical. Most rodeo boats now have flat bottoms that give lift to boats on waves and in holes, allowing the boater to spin in place while on a wave. So again, the rodeo boats are on, on top of, yes. on top yeah. of the water. Squirt boats are just an extreme version of rodeo boats typically made of carbon fiber or fiberglass designed to have the lowest volume possible, actually made to stay underwater during play moves Squirt boats are even less well-suited to learning general 
to somebody learning general whitewater skills than rodeo boats are. So you don't want to learn. No, no, you're not going to learn much. Whitewater in, in a. You're going to learn how to yeah. swim. Oh yeah. Or drown. <laughs> one of the two. Yeah. Uh, some, but not all squirt boaters use hand paddles instead of traditional kayak paddles. Uh, the hand paddles are use a totally different set of muscles. So sometimes you're finding you're not going to get a good, um, stroke enough, yeah. enough of, of a, uh, power behind it. So, but they add for maneuverability underwater and some traditional kayakers use them as backup paddles, right? Just in case they lose their, um, Regular paddle, they got the hand paddles yeah. sitting there. Very different of disciplines. The squirt kayak is flat, long, blah, 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 like they say. The athlete performs tick tricks on any lines during freestyle type tricks. The big points are awarded for downtime. A, meaning how long the kayak and athlete are able to <clears throat> remain submerged underwater. Yes. <laughs> that, so, that doesn't meet my goals. <laughs> not at all. I was watching... Um, some videos of this and there's one person they're down there. Uh, I think it was Dane Jackson. Yeah. Dane Jackson was out with a couple of guys up and up near Ottawa. Mm-hmm. They may have been near, well, they're near Ottawa. I, I wonder if they were at Madawaska, uh, but they were doing stuff there and he was under for quite a while. And then when he came back up, he was caught in this one area and he kept doing these turns and spins and, and they're all like, Oh, he's not getting out of there. <laughs> and then finally he ended up getting out, but he's underwater and then he eventually ended up flipping up. And I'm thinking, I couldn't hold my breath that long. <laughs> Not and use your muscles at the same no, time. No, Like the <laughs> Now they were also saying if, cause you know, you're thinking you're, if you're stuck, get out. Mm-hmm. They're saying in that don't. Oh yeah. Because of where it is, they're like, they're doing the whirlpools and stuff oh, like that. Oh, you need the volume of the boat yeah. to, you need the angles of the boat to help pull you downstream. Yeah. And so they're saying, do not get out. And my big thing would be. How are you getting out anyway? <laughs> it is so tight. Getting in, I'm, I'm watching them getting in and out of these things. And it's basically they're like. squeezing their hips in, they're wiggling and wiggling. And if you, if, if you don't untie your shoe, you slip it off. Yeah. But try putting that shoe back, back on, on again. Yeah. Right. And that <laughs> is exactly what a square yeah. boat, except your whole body is the foot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're trying to get your body into this squeezy little thing. Yeah. No way. <laughs> Ain't happening. So one of the, the one of the main guys, uh, a legend in squirt boating is Jim Snyder. He actually has, uh, I, I was watching a video and they call it a sit on top one. Is he buckled in? No, it didn't look like he was buckled How in. How does he not separate from the. Because, okay. So again, if you picture two, picture, well, picture an ironing board. Yeah. Rounded at both ends mm-hmm. and be, you're sitting on top of it. Yeah. Your legs straight out and where your thighs are between your knees and your hips the, from the side of this. Those little braces? Thing, well, it's this molded piece that comes off the top of the boat, the, the, the boat and wraps around to the top of your thighs and holds you there because you're using your thighs to maneuver, right? So yep. your thighs are holding you into the, mm-hmm. the boat. <laughs> so he's totally underwater. Yeah. And he's got these massive, they look like almost like baseball gloves. He's got yeah. the big hand paddles on and he's under there and he's spinning around and he's rolling around and they say, he, cause you can go on all like you don't just go left, right, up, down, back, forward yeah. sort of thing. 
you're doing like if, corkscrews, if, corkscrews, and, and, and yeah. cartwheels all underwater. Hmm. And you look, and they got views of uh, looking up at him from underneath. Yeah. And above him, you're seeing all the big waves oh, wow. that you would be seeing from the top of the white water. Yeah. He's actually under all that, using all the eddies and the different currents under the water to do all these tricks. Wow. And it, it, <laughs> no. Yeah, no way. Not me. <laughs> it's not happening. That's, I wouldn't even want to try it. No. <laughs> no. Maybe 30 years ago. <laughs> not anymore, man. Not yeah, Yeah. You know what? I mean, it, it's cool to, to watch it. Um, I, I, that, yeah. Yeah. All the power to people who want to do it. Yeah. 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 But like I say, I was watching some of those videos and I'm thinking they're going to drown. <laughs> I honestly thought they were going to drown. Like that Dane Jackson. Yeah. I thought he was a goner. Like I, I, I should go back yeah. and time how long he was underwater. <laughs> I got to say it was over a minute yeah. that he was upside down. Maybe it's just because I was watching it. It really was probably like 30 seconds, but yeah. it sure seemed like it was a long, long time. <laughs> so yeah, I don't, I, I, that's not for me. It'd be cool to watch, but you know. So there's, there's some of the moves they have, the squirts. Uh, yeah. Squirting is moving the boat from flat to vertical. Screw around or screw up. This is a vertical or past vertical maneuver where the kayak is pivoting around its long axis. So basically you're standing, you're, you're straight up and down, right? So yep. the, 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 the stern is in the water, the bow is facing the sky and you're spinning. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Mystery move. It's the holy grail of squirt boat maneuvers. In a mystery move, the kayak and paddler submerge entirely into the flow of the river via total immersion into the downward flow. That's the big one you want to do. Cartwheels, the kayak transitions from vertical to vertical sideways uh, using a smash technique of rotating your hips and boat against the paddle torso configuration. Okay, you lost me on that one. <laughs> zero to hero. Yeah. It usually goes the other way around. Hero to zero. Yeah. Zero to hero. When surfacing from the mystery move upside down, which I saw a lot of people doing that, <laughs> the paddler executes a screw around or screw up and effectively surfaces vertically. Wow. So I guess it'd be like a submarine coming up. Yeah. Right? Breach. Just breach and yeah. then boom, you, you flip yeah. as you're coming out and yeah. land, right? Uh, the clue, the boat and boater sit partially submerged in a hydraulic loop. There's different different loop from in rodeo playboating. The loop in squirt boating refers to a roll around the long axis of the boat while submerged in a mystery move. So it sounds like... like as if, if you were in a regular kayak, you'd do a roll on the surface. Yeah. Sounds like that's what you're doing below the surface. Yeah. Right? The loop, essentially an Eskimo roll performed underwater. The retarded loop performing uh, performed the same as a loop, but the second half of the roll from upside down to right side up starts as the hull breaks the surface of the water. And then the light loop, a high energy loop where the boat is thrust partially out of the water as it breaks through the surface it has the appearance of a boat exploding out of the water to an upright position from underwater by way of 180 degree de- uh, degree rotation. So that sounds like the submarine. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So those are some of the the moves that uh, come associated with squirt boating. Yeah. But yeah, it, it just seems uh, a bit more extreme, as they say, than the the rodeo. So you're doing all the stuff on. You're doing it in. Yeah. The worst part of. Um, 
yeah, like they say, you, you get into where everything's crossing and the bad parts that you don't want to be in. That's where they're doing these things. And then they go underwater. Mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> Kids these days. I, know. I just don't know what's getting through their heads. It reminds me that I got to sell my kayak. <laughs> <laughs> hey. <laughs> well, no, not the new one. My old one. My whitewater kayak. Yeah. I got I got a space for that in my garage. <laughs> Anyway, so check out squirt boating. If you Google squirt boating, there there's some pretty cool videos. I'll see if I can. We, we, I'll post a couple on Facebook. Yeah, there yeah, the, yeah. This week, yeah. later this week, and uh, um, you can check those out. But uh, yeah, the one where they were doing it in Ottawa, and uh, the one of uh, oh, what was his name? Jim Schneider. Mm-hmm. Um, Snyder. I'll post that one as well, so you can see the. Yes, yeah, it's, it's really hard to describe the the. Kayak yeah, he's you, using, thing he's using. You got to see it. Yeah, really, really different. It, it gets to the point where is it really considered a boat? <laughs> yeah, I mean, or a tight-fitting pair of pants. Well, yeah. <laughs> no, but this, this, this on top squirt boat. Thing I know using, exactly right. Just put some yeah. some funky sides on a exactly. stand-up paddleboard and make it smaller, <laughs> realistically. So, anyway, check that out, and uh, we'll, we'll put up some videos there. Anyway, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with a GPS thingy you were talking about. Yes, pretty cool. Hey, this is Sean Rowley and you're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. To find out more about us, check out our website, paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Current and past episodes of our podcast can be downloaded or streamed from iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page of our website. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for the show, We would love to hear from you. So drop us a line on Facebook or our website. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. So you have uh, a, an app that you were talking about, you, you'd you mentioned. Yes, I discovered a... I can't remember where I f- discovered this. Anyways, I discovered this you app. discovered it. We will call it <laughs> Derek Land. <laughs> Well, it's not my app, but I did discover it or like, you know, it's not like I'm the discoverer. You discovered it. Like a, I discovered America. Okay. I found this existing ma- uh, app. So it's uh, called Gaia GPS. And uh, I, I've, I've used a couple of these mapping apps and hiking apps in the past. And, and you know, some of them you have to download your own maps. Some, some you can do your, like you could... Uh, you could be some. There's one I used one time where I just scanned in a, a map of Algonquin Park and the canoe routes, and then you just pick a couple known points, and it links the app to the map. Yada yada yada. Some of them were neat, but this one here is uh, this one here that I discovered last week. It's uh, it's got a unique feature that I liked. But uh, 
so it uh, you can add multiple layers. Like it's everything is on board. You don't have to download anything. It all comes with, and and you can select which one you want to use. And there's a there's a multitude of like uh, like there's back roads maps. There's highway maps. There's a U.S. Canada Europe maps. There's it's all on board, right? And uh, you can you can use a lot of the features. You can lose a lot of the items just for. Free, but if you want to use any of its capabilities, any of the power that's within this app, the premium stuff. Yeah, the premium stuff. So the you can use some parts of it for free. Then to access some of the layers, you pay ten dollars a year, mm-hmm. which isn't bad. Or for the premium version, it's uh, forty bucks for the year. And the, what comes with the premium? There's a lot of the really neat upgraded maps and topographical maps and hiking trails that you can find and and uh, ability to record your hikes and your routes and stuff like that. Well, one of the neatest things I found that I really like about this app is uh, you're able to overlay NASA satellite imagery of Earth, okay. nighttime imagery. So if you've ever seen a map at night, you see the typical, oh, look, there's uh, there's the Golden Horseshoe area in the Toronto, Toronto, GTA, there's Hamilton. Chicago, there's Yeah, there's New, New York. York City. You can, and what you're looking at is like street lights and, and house lights and whatever. Right. So you all see the this. The, yeah, all the light pollution. And uh, so there's, there's a few, uh, there's a few maps that I used to use for basic light pollution when I, when I had a working telescope before I broke mine. But uh, it uh, you there's like well for example north of uh, north of Coburg there's a there's an area is called it's known for its night sky uh, star watching for telescopes and stuff there's minimal light pollution up in that area okay so if you wanted to find a place you had to know about it or whatever in word of mouth or through the uh, space weather uh, apps and website but this here it it overlays a a uh, a light pollution map over the over the map that you're looking at for where you are. So, what's neat about it is if you're planning to do a, a camping trip and it's like, well, where do I pick? I want to pick a nice spot where I can see the galaxies, I can see the Milky Way, I want to I want to see the satellites going overhead. Because if you're anywhere's in town and anybody who's any any city folk who are aware, like when we had the blackout in two thousand and three, like everybody was like amazed, like oh, all the Toronto people said, look, stars, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Well, if you want to find stars and and you want to pick a neat decent campsite, you overlay the light pollution map, and you can see like okay, this campsite is a good campsite. It's away from many towns. I didn't know there was a town there, so I'll avoid that campsite. So it's, what's neat is you can, if you are, if you're into it, if you, you know, know, some people might like light pollution. It's like they like the, their campsite lit up at night from the local (laughs) parking lot at Walmart. I'll be camping down in Toronto. (laughs) But yeah, so it's, what's neat is that you can, you can overlay the light pollution map and you can see how uh, dark your campsite area is going to be for whatever you, you pick, right? Right. So it's really neat. It's uh it's 40 bucks for the year. It's, uh, I ended up with taxes and stuff, $44 and 25 cents for me. Canadian. Canadian. Yeah. Yeah. So that is like, it's, it's a really, and the map thing itself is you can use it for road trips. You can use it for camping trips. You can, if you want to do the, uh, the, uh, you know, the 
Pacific uh, Crest Trail or whatever the PCT or the the uh, what is it the uh, the AT or any of these hiking trails, all these trails, and you can like I just zoomed in just a few minutes ago on Bon Echo Provincial Park, and all the little hiking trails are all listed on this map. So everything's there. It's like it's the, the, hmm. everything is built right in. That would be uh, pretty good for doing night photography. It would be, yeah, yeah. Finding so, spots around the city that will be minimal. Yeah, so light. if you wanted to do a timed uh, Star Trails thing, mm-hmm. or you wanted to get the the Milky Way in all its glory in, in your in your digital photography, this is perfect. You get the nice areas with uh, low light pollution, and you know you may know of a place that oh, I know a place up in Blackstock or near Peterborough that's really dark. Well, hey, maybe there's a spot that's only ten minutes away, and you can find it on this map because you can yeah. look at the light pollution map. Yeah, that's right? not, that's pretty good, man. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. It's it's a nice little map. It's uh, it's it, it's well laid out. I like it. It's a really nice it, little app. It would come in handy when you're looking at camping on uh, Crown Land. Absolutely, yes. Right, because yeah, yeah, you find out. Okay, well, I'm going to go up this way. I know there's Crown yeah. Land, mm-hmm. and you throw that. You say, okay, this is about where I'm going to go, and then you put that layer over top, and you can yeah. see. Oh, well, I'm going to get. Oh, light pollution a, there. I didn't know there was a town there. Yeah. I didn't know there was a mine there or yeah. whatever, right? That's awesome. Yeah. So Gaia GPS, G-A-I-A GPS. Uh, yeah, I mean, I got a iPhone. I just go under apps and download that. Mm-hmm. And uh, you got you, yeah, right, you got Google an Play. So Google Android Play, yeah. goes through Google Play. You use Apple iTunes. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool, man. You're going to have to really uh, let me know how well it works. Yeah, yeah. Get it. Uh, I know you've taken a quick boo through it, but uh, yeah. there's uh, an awful lot of um, little gadgets on there. There's way too many gadgets. It's going to take a little bit of learning curve, but for the most part, I, I mean, just within 10 or 15 minutes, I was able to figure out the layering system and the, how to put to overlay the light pollution map and how to find hiking trails and, and whatnot, right? So there's still a few little quirks that I have to figure out because I now, right currently, as I was looking at it earlier, I was unable to make the light pollution map go away. <laughs> <laughs> so now you know the light pollution everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so 40 bucks a year, that's not too shabby if you're yeah. looking into that sort of thing. Yeah, it's not bad. It's uh, yeah, a lot cheaper than a GPS. Yes. So yeah. Absolutely. give it a whirl. That sounds cool, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, other than that, I think that's about all I got this week. That's all we got. That's all we got. So if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can also download this or listen to uh, stream it live on our episode page at paddlingadventuresradio.com. And check out our YouTube channel. There's actually a new YouTube uh, yes, video up there. We, 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 we upload a YouTube video what, once a year or two? <laughs> no, actually, I think this is two for this year already. Two for yeah. one year? Dude, we're rocking it out now, baby. We're out of control. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell be... me about the new video. Yeah. What did we upload? Uh, it is the Northwater Barrel Organization System. Yes. It's the review we did of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty cool. I've actually got a couple people that uh, sent us messages saying that is a really cool system. Yeah. And they might be buying some of it. So. And we don't have it anymore. We ended up giving we that away. away. We gave uh, it away. Uh, <laughs> I yeah, so wanted prizes. to keep that. I wanted to oh, keep that. Oh, I know. It was good. <laughs> so anyway, check that out on our, our YouTube, uh, Paddling Adventures Radio YouTube channel. 
So that's about it for this week. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Spest. We'll see you next time.